welcome to all you guys. I'm going to jump right into the word tonight for a couple of reasons. One, because it's, uh, it's, it's really late and I know a lot of you guys are tired and I know that some of you drove, uh, I think some people drove like 18 hours today, um, from South Florida, 14. I was, man, I was, you know, it was kind of, I was doing a Baptist thing. There's some Baptist churches here and that's, you know, we round up. It's what, what happens there. So 18 hours. And then we have a church from Israel that's here. And, uh, so it was awesome. Bethlehem. Um, good to have you guys. Um, I know it's a big week for y'all. And so I know it was probably tough getting, getting, getting the camels going and, uh, we appreciate you guys being here, but, uh, um, we're going to be in first Corinthians 15. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to set up the next few sessions. So I think everybody, uh, there's, there's, uh, a few of you that'll be leaving Saturday morning after that session, but most of you are staying until Sunday. It's Thursday night now, stay until Sunday. So what we're going to do is we're going to really unpack the gospel. That's a, the, the gospel is something that's a word that you should be familiar with. If you're a church kid, or if you're someone who goes to church and you spend much time in church, you should have heard that word a lot. You should be familiar with that word. If not, you're going to hear it a lot while you're here. That's all there is. It's life. It's eternity. It's everything revolves around the gospel. The gospel is what holds everything in place. It's what holds everything together in history. It's at the, it's at the seam of history. It's at the middle of history is this thing, this glorious story called the gospel. And we just celebrated uh, the birth of Christ and, and as we should always be celebrating the birth of Christ, but we just celebrated Christmas, which is awesome. And, and Christmas is about the gospel. That's what it's about. So what we want to do tonight to start the week off or to start the weekend off, I guess we call it a weekend. We want to, we want to lay down some basic uh, identifying characteristics of the gospel, make sure that everybody's on the same page, that we understand what the gospel is, that we understand, uh, if you're a believer, that you understand the gospel is what saves you, but it's also, as we work through the weekend, it's also what keeps you in Christ and what moves you along in your Christian life. And then we want to ask questions like, what, what's the gospel in your life? What does it look like in your day-to-day life? How is the gospel being fleshed out? How is Jesus reflected in your life? What does your life look like if you profess to be a follower of Jesus? And, and not just, it, here, here's, what, here's what we don't want to see your life do. We don't want to see you try to take Jesus and make him an accessory to your life. You remember uh, when you were like a little kid and you watched Saturday morning cartoons? Some of you may still watch Saturday morning cartoons, which is pretty weird. But if you do that, um, that's between you and um, and uh, your doctor and your parents. And um, so, but if you remember when you were a kid, you watched Saturday morning cartoons and there was, uh, there would be these uh, commercials for toys. And, and on the commercial, there would be a couple of kids playing with this massive set of toys, you know, action figures or something from, you know, some like, like a movie series, or I'm trying to think of something like, let's say you're doing a comic book thing. So it's like Batman and you would have Batman and then all of his, uh, you know, like his really sweet car Hummer thing, you know, it's like a car and Hummer had a baby and they gave it steroids and that's what Batman drives, you know, it's like, you know, so you've got that the little toy thing and then you've got his helicopter, his airplane, uh, his, his jet, whatever. And then, you know, then you've got the Batcave and you got all these things. And at the bottom of the screen, it would say something like accessories sold separately, right? Accessories sold separately. And the idea is you've got the main toy, but then you can accessorize it. And what, what I want us to, to think about as we think about the gospels, we think about who Jesus is this weekend. 
Christ is not somebody or something that you just accessorize your life with. So it's not that, that you live your life on your terms and then God is, maybe you bring him in as an accessory. And then if you do bring him in as an accessory, you determine how vital of an accessory he is or how big of a role he plays. Listen to me. The baby in the manger is the God of the universe. Jesus Christ doesn't negotiate the terms of a relationship with anybody. He doesn't negotiate. He's not interested in asking you what you think about the relationship, letting you, hey, have you, have you guys had those DTR conversations, right? Determining or defining the relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or with somebody you hope is going to become your boyfriend or your girlfriend. So you got to have this conversation. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't really know where we are. I mean, I think he's cute. She thinks I'm cute. I think, he, and, and like you hear, I hear these conversations around camp. He's so cute. Oh no, I used to think he was cute, but now I think, but then, and, and there's like people talk and students are here and I overhear conversations and it's really funny because you're in love with somebody madly one week you've all been through this and then the next week you think they're like an alien you know you don't anything to do with him how what was i thinking you know and we've so everybody's familiar with these defining or determining the relationship conversations listen that's not how christ works he doesn't sit down and let you define or determine the relationship he's god Jesus Christ is God. And at the center of the gospel is the God man and his name is Jesus. And what he does is he brings us into a relationship with him where he's not an accessory to our lives. He is God on the throne of the universe. And so he expects to be God on the throne of your life. So you don't show up at church on Sunday and then kind of accessorize your life with church or Jesus. You don't come on a trip like this and accessorize your life with Jesus. He is life. He is God. He is what holds everything together. And so he's in authority over all things. He is in absolute authority. Whether you submit to him or not, he is still in authority. Okay, that's how Jesus works. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. We're just going to look at part of the first verse. Uh, It says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Hopefully, if you're here with a church and you're church and you've been to church, then you've had the gospel preached to you. And what what we want to do this weekend is remind you of the gospel. We want to remind you of the gospel. There's nothing new. We don't have there's there's nothing new in Christianity. The gospel is ageless. It's timeless. It existed before the foundation of the world. Do you know that before the foundation of the earth, God had a purpose and a plan to come into the world and to and to provide a way for you and I to have a relationship with Him in spite of our sin. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. He doesn't adore us because we're adorable. He doesn't serve us because we deserve it. He does all of those things in spite of our sin because He's God enough to forgive us our sin, extend grace to us because he has the authority to love you no matter where you've been, what you've done or who you are, because he's got, and that's at the core of the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord over all things. And so the first element of the gospel that I, that, that I want us to grasp tonight, and then we're going to break up and go to small groups. The first element of the gospel that I want you to understand and wrap your brain around is this. God is just, God is just. Okay. I want you to think about that. I want you to get that. The word just also could be translated. We could also say righteous. God is righteous. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that nobody's righteous. It says in Romans 3.12 that nobody's good. But God is. 
Nobody but God. So God is righteous. God is just. Righteousness and justice, if we we're going to define those things, it would simply mean that without evil, without sin, and in a position to then judge and rule over. It's not just that God is sinless. It's not just that Christ is without sin, but it's that he's without sin. And because he's without sin, he is in a position to judge sin. You ever have somebody say to you, or maybe you've said this before, you, you're not the, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. You ever say that? Or you ever hear that? Well, but we can't say that to God because he is judge. He is judge because he's just. And the justice of God simply means that he is above sin. He's not given to sin. He's never yielded to sin. And he judges and rules over sin. Now, we like, we like justice. Okay. A lot of people say things, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's a tendency in our society for people to talk about how they don't, they don't like the thought of a God who would judge us for our sin or who would condemn us over our sin. But, and, and, and so when we do that, we kind of attack the just nature of God. But the reality is we love justice. We love justice. We love to see the good guys win. Don't we? We love to, you know what shows thrive on TV? The shows that thrive on television, the shows that are like tops other than, other than the best shows, which are like Duck Dynasty, you know, other than that, which should thrive, you know, if you're, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's just good. Okay. But the, the, the dramas that, the TV dramas that thrive the most are the ones that revolve around the judicial system or the justice system, aren't they? Like NCIS, uh, all the CSI, you know, they got, they've got 1,050,000 CSI shows now. You know, it's like CSI Miami, CSI New York, CSI every town in America, CSI Grape Creek, CSI Fines Creek, CSI, Mount Pisgah. See, I'm like all these little places around here that I'm thinking of. You know, see, it's like, how can they take one show, one concept, and it works? And so they do it and they say, well, we'll make another show. It's the same story. It's just another city. Why can they do that? Because people love justice. We love justice. We like to see bad guys. Listen, we like to see bad guys pay. We like to see the bad guys get caught, don't we? We like to see that. I see that. We... we <sighs> I went and watched uh, last summer and watched the newest Batman movie, newest installment of Batman. And what does everybody want to see happen? They want to see, uh, did y'all, did a lot of y'all see that movie? Yeah. What do you want to see happen to Bane? The whole time you, you start off the beginning of the movie. You remember the beginning of the movie? He's in the airplane. He's kidnapping. I don't remember exactly the details now because my, my brain is, I'm, I'm one of those people who has a jumbled brain and I forget. But remember he, he kidnaps the guy out of the airplane. Y'all remember that scene? From that moment forth, you're like, man, that guy's evil. And, and, and who wears a mask over his face like that, you know? But he, talk, he did talk weird, you know? He talk, and so, you know, he's just evil and sinister. Well, by what standard are we made? You know, how can we say he's evil? Well, we recognize evil. Why do we recognize evil? Because we love justice. And anything that is opposed to or opposite of justice, we recognize it as evil. And we love to see justice prevail, don't we? We love to, we, we watch that movie and we want to see Bane, you know, lose. We don't, and, and your heart is kind of like racing when Bane beats the snot out of, you know, crippled old, old man Batman who's been laid up. You know, he come out of retirement and he gets, it, he gets it handed to him. Remember that? I don't know why I'm talking about the Batman movie right now. It's not in my, it wasn't in my notes. I got notes. So maybe I should look at those, you know, then I'll quit talking about Batman. But anyway, what I'm getting at is. We love justice. And it was funny because when I remember when, when uh, me and one of the guys here were talking about that movie not long ago. And, I, and he said, why didn't they just shoot him? If someone had shot him, the movie could have ended a lot sooner. And I was like, if he comes to Snowbird, somebody shoot him. 
It'd be, it'd be, the movie would be a lot quicker. It would be over a lot quicker because we love justice and we would have shot Bane. And, but, but everyone loves to hate the villain and we love to love that which is just or those people that represent justice. Why? Because God created us in his image. He created us in his image and God is just. The problem is because we understand and recognize justice, we also understand and recognize that the world we live in is, is very broken. It's really messed up. We recognize that. No, no one in this room who is in any state of sanity would say that we live in a world that is a good place where good prevails always. We recognize that good doesn't always prevail, especially right now with the things that have happened in the Northeast. Why, why is there such a thud in your heart and in your stomach when you hear about a story like that? Because at the end of the day, no one's brought to justice. There's no closure. It's just an empty, hollow, ah, evil seems to have prevailed. Well, it hasn't. We know that God in the end ultimately will prevail but we love justice, and because we love justice, we recognize evil. Where does that come from? It comes from the nature of God, and we're created in God's image. And because we're created in God's image, we recognize right and wrong, at least to some degree. God is just, and here's the thing about God's justice. Because he's just, he has to judge and condemn sin. And he can't take part in sin. He can't, he can't have fellowship with sin. The Bible says God is light, and in him there's no darkness. And it says light cannot have fellowship with darkness. This is true, isn't it? If you're in a pitch black place and you turn on the light, what happens? It's, you can see. It's not dark. You can't, you can't. Darkness goes away. Darkness flees from light. Light dispels and exposes darkness and drives it away. And, and, and you can't. Because of that, the Bible says God is, that's how God is with evil. He's like light and darkness. He exposes it, deals with it, drives it out. We, we should love the fact that God is just, and we should hold on to that truth and that reality. God is just. But here's the other thing. If God is just, and in him there is the, the characteristic and the nature to judge evil, we have to then recognize that we want him to be completely just, not partly just. So, so it doesn't make sense for me to think, well, maybe God will turn a blind eye to my sin, or maybe God will let me off the hook in this area or that area. Listen, God is just, and as being just, he has to demand complete justice. He has to punish sin. problem is we're sinful. Though we're created in his image, we're still sinful. Listen, you don't want, you don't want to judge and I don't want to judge who's going to take a criminal and say to him, some, some person who's committed a heinous crime and say to him, well, you can go, just don't do it anymore. Think about, we were talking about Batman a while ago. Think about, remember back in the summer when the guy went into the movie theater in Colorado? Y'all remember that? He sh- and he shot a bunch of people. It was, a ba- it was in the Batman movie. It was like the first night they, they had this movie came out. Hey, do y'all remember that? You guys heard about that? He went there. Well, so they got that guy in prison now or in jail, and he's going to go to trial. And what do we want to see happen? We want to see justice prevail. We don't want to see evil prevail. Now, what kind of judge, how would you feel about it if you knew the judge was on the stand? You knew the judge was up there on the stand, and you, and you knew this judge who's going to judge this man You knew that he had had 10 cases in the last two years of people who had committed cold-blooded murder. And you knew that nine of those cases he had judged justly. 
And on one of those cases, he had made an exception and said, I'm feeling, I'm feeling generous today. I'm going to let this criminal, this murderer go free. Would you feel like that man was a just judge? No. Justice isn't just the majority of the time. It's always just. It's not just that justice only prevails in the majority of a case. Listen, God is just, and to be just, he has to always judge evil and judge sin. We don't want a judge that says, I will judge nine convicted child molesters by the law, punish them, and send them to prison. But one out of every ten, number ten, he gets a get-out-of-jail-free card, and I'm going to let him go free. We don't want a judge like that, y'all. I don't want somebody sitting in justice system who's going to let every tenth child molester go free or every tenth murderer go free. We don't, that's not justice. That's a perversion of justice. Likewise, I don't want a God who takes, let's take the Ten Commandments, for example. Now, we know the Ten Commandments, that's just, that's just a reflection of, of the nature of God. It's, it's, it's something that, it, that God has brought and given us from days of old to expose our sinful nature. But what if God said, you know, there's Ten Commandments here, and I'm going to judge justly with all of these except for one. I'm going to let the one commandment, don't bear false witness, I'm going to let that one go. And I'm going to judge people for the other nine, but I'm going to let people bear false witness. And God just let people lie about each other and run each other down and talk dirty about each other. Then we would say, but that's not a good system. Nine out of 10 is not good when it comes to justice. Nine out of 10 murderers put in prison. That's not good enough. If one gets to go free to murder again, you see justice always has to judge evil. If it's to remain just. And God is just, so he always has to judge evil. So the gospel that we must preach is a gospel that says, at the very core of the message of the gospel is a just God who must judge evil. Well, we've already said that the world is an evil place. It's a broken place. It's a messed up place. Listen, maybe, perhaps, you've never left your part of the world. Maybe the farthest some of you have ever gone is from home to here. Maybe you've, maybe you've traveled extensively throughout the United States. But let me tell you something. If you travel far in this world, you will see. Listen, y'all, especially when you get out of the United States, you travel in the developing world, third world, second world, developing world countries, you will see ugliness and the effects of sin and depravity in such a raw. See, we just mask it here. We cover it up here a lot of times. It's kind of polished. It, it, things are shiny for us. We live, in a, we live in, a, in a society where we don't see the filth of sin the way a lot of the world sees it. You travel far around this world, you know what you see? Famine, disease, sickness, sickness that is the result of sin. You see that the world is broken. You can't say that we live in, a, in this really happy, good place. The world is messed up. It's jacked up. Some of you, some of you, Feel the weight and the effect of other people's sin. Enough that you can say, yeah, this world's really screwed up. I don't, the world's messed up. It's not just that we each have a sin problem. It's that the whole world, the whole system as a whole is broken. There have been, since World War II, since World War II, there have been over 150 major military campaigns slash wars that have been fought. Makes me think of the old saying, why can't we all just get along? Well, because, because of sin and because the world's broken and because the world's messed up. So there's evil and evil is rampant. 
And anytime there's evil, there's a need for justice. And when the two clash, it's war. We live in a broken world. And God says, okay, here's the situation. Here's the condition of the world. It's sinful. Here's the condition of each and every person. They're all sinful. And I'm just. And I have to judge evil. I have to judge sin. Well, if you're a sinner and you have to be judged by just God, and he's going to maintain his justice, that means he's going to judge you and punish you. But what God does is he says, I know what I'll do. I'll punish their sin, but I'll punish it in such a way that I can extend to them grace because the sin has to be punished. But if God's to save us, he's going to have to extend grace and not make us pay for our own sin. So that's why Jesus dies. That's why the baby comes because God is just. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, God is just and he's the justifier of our sin. What does that mean? It means he's just so he can judge our sin, but he's the justifier, which means he gives us salvation, gives us salvation. God is just, but he, listen, from the earliest stages of life, you can see the, the sin nature in a human being, can't you? In a little kid, you can, you can see this in little kids. You can see this in three-year-olds. Think about two and three-year-olds. I mean, people named the, the two-year-old year, they call it the terrible twos. You ever heard that phrase? Why is that? Because two-year-olds are like gremlins after midnight. Always, all the time. They'll do things that chimpanzees will do, like fling their, you know, poop on you. I say that because I saw it happen a couple days ago. We're, we're Christmas, we're hanging out, and I got one. I got, I'm, I'm the oldest in a family of eight. And so if you're from a big family, you understand, you know, things are just a little rawer in a big family. You know? So there's one kid over in the corner getting the diaper changed, and the kid literally grabs the diaper and flings it and hits another kid in this like, side right here. I was like, I, I wouldn't have done that to somebody. What you're seeing there is in a two-year-old sin nature. You're seeing it. The, so, so do you have to teach a two-year-old kid to sin or do you have to teach him to do what's right? You got to teach him to do what's right. That's what doesn't come natural. What comes natural is to sin. Listen, you want to have some fun in a really demented, twisted sort of way? Go to the, go to the nursery at your church next Sunday. Throw a bag of Oreos in the middle of the floor and give everybody a baseball bat. You know what they'll do? They will kill each other over Oreos because, because what we see is that in the human condition, the human nature from the earliest age, earliest stages, we're sinful and there's, there's, there's the evidence of evil. God needs to judge that. And the way he judges it, and we'll set this up, and we'll set this up so that we really charge into this, this is where we'll pick it up tomorrow morning. The way God judges sin is one of two ways. He, he can judge it by you paying for it yourself or... He can exchange your sin for the righteousness of Christ. That's what salvation is. He takes Christ's righteousness, gives that to you. Christ's goodness, his righteousness, his holiness, and he puts that on you. And he takes your sin and he puts that on Christ. And his justice is maintained because your sin is punished. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't let it go. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because God excused your sin. You're a Christian because he's already paid for it. In Christ Jesus. That's the glory of the gospel. I'll pray. Give you some directions. God, pray that as we go from here into our small groups and, and begin to talk about uh, 
this, the, the weight and the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would prepare us for a weekend where uh, we understand more clearly why you came, why you did what you did, why you love us so much, why it is that you would save lost sinners, wretched sinners like us, why you would die in our place, why you would hang on us, uh, on, on your son, the sin of each one of us who are in Christ. We love you and, and we thank you that you loved us first. Thanks for bringing these students here, Lord. Pray that, uh, I know heavy, kind of weighty material tonight. And I pray that you would, you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, enable us to see and grasp our need for salvation. If, if, if there are students here that are not believers, those of us who are saved, that are believers, that have been rescued from our sin by your grace, help us to realize what a magnificent gift that is, what an amazing gift that is, and help us to understand that your justice is intact. And you demand much from us because of what you've given us. Please move and, and bless our time of small groups and help us to, to be able to, to, to understand more clearly exactly what the gospel is and how it applies to our lives. We pray that these things would be said and done in your name and for your glory. Amen.